You know, I'm so appreciative of the way Jeff selects and orders the worship, the music, because I, I feel like when I stand up here to preach, I have really, really been led to the throne of God's grace. And uh, that is no different this morning. And that was a great way to end this, talking about by his wounds we are healed. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 today, as we're coming quickly to the end of this chapter. As a matter of fact, this is or the end of this whole sermon. This will probably be our next to the last message, uh, next to last Sunday in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we will move on to other things as we move into the Advent season and into Christmas. But I want you to think about this this morning and remember several things in this passage. I dare say, without much fear of being contradicted, that these are some of the most horrible words that can be heard that Jesus utters in this passage. These are words that none of us and nobody ever wants to hear. These are words that are spoken not out of ugliness or out of, or out of passionate hatred. These are words that are just spoken factually. They're looking ahead. They're looking ahead to the judgment of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ at the end of all time when judgment takes place. And Jesus tells his disciples that it's not going to be everything that everybody expects it to be on that day. Now remember, you cannot take these verses out of context from really the whole sermon, but especially the section starting in verse 13. Because Jesus is still thinking about the narrow gate and the wide gate. He's still thinking about the narrow gate that leads to life and the broad gate or the wide gate that leads to destruction. And he comes to this point and he says, here's what the consequences are of not understanding the reality of that. Here's what the consequences are of walking down the broad way, the easy way, the religious way, and thinking, hey, I've got this all figured out and I'm doing it all myself. And the narrow way that says, I come only in the righteousness of Christ. Wow, what, what great singing it is. The choir sings clothed in the rights of Christ. We sing uh, the uh, Rock of Ages, and it talks about, I come to you for dress, talking to the Lord. I mean, it just all shows the, the truth and the glory of what it means to come to Christ. There is a, there's a difference that takes place when a person comes to Christ. When a person comes to religion... They can come to religion and be religious and go through life just as it were, with no real change. But when you come to Christ, you're clothed in his righteousness. When you come to Christ, there's a dramatic and radical difference that takes place in your life. Listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to what he says that is so horrible to hear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice unrighteousness. Now, if you think about those words seriously that our Lord speaks, that's got to bring some conflict. That's got to bring some, some disconnect to your mind just a little bit. Because Jesus is talking about people here who have gone through life being very religious and talking about Jesus, some who have even preached in his name, some who have cast out demons in his name, some who have performed miracles in his name, and he gets to the end and then Jesus says to them, I don't know you. Depart from me. You're not a part of the kingdom of heaven. You're not a part of the kingdom of God. You have been very religious, but you missed the whole point. Now, how can that be when things are said in the scripture like Jesus himself said, that if you are in me and I am in the Father, then you are, you are protected and no one will be able to snatch you out of my hands. I mean, if you have professed Christ, you believe in Christ, you have proclaimed Christ, how is it that someday some are going to get there and they're going to be shocked to hear Jesus say, depart from me for I never knew you. That's a shocking thought. Did not the Apostle Paul say very clearly in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Jesus and Paul are not contradicting one another. Paul is not coming along and saying, well, now Jesus may have said that some who say, Lord, Lord, will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But I want to tell you, anybody that believe, confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. They're not contradicting one another. Paul is simply saying there is a heart matter that's more than a speech matter because many people in our day and in our time speak with empty words, with empty meaning, using religious words that have no content to them, and that's who Jesus is talking about in this passage. I'll never forget sitting at the University of Alabama football game when I was a freshman in college. And uh, I actually had a ticket. I didn't use my student ticket. I had some tickets to this one, and I was sitting over in the park, and, and there were some people around me, one guy in front of me in particular, that was filled with spirits. Not the Holy Spirit, but filled with spirits. And I remember that Alabama took a, made a long play, I don't know, 60 or 70-yard touchdown play, and this guy stood up, and with all his might, he said, Praise the Lord! And I thought, that's kind of strange. You know, the Apostle Paul said no one can, no one who is led by the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one who is led by the Spirit will say that Jesus is accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And yet this guy stood there, and in all his might and with all his power, he cried out at the top of his lungs, Praise the Lord! 
but it really meant nothing. It really had no meaning to it other than he was just happy they scored. At least he thinks that's what they did. I'm not sure he really knew. I think his neighbor had to tell him they scored, and that made him understand what was going on. But you see, the problem is that sometimes we use the right words. This guy was confessing the Lord with his mouth. But there was no indication there was any heart meaning or heart change. And so consequently you have here a situation where, where, there, is, where there are people who are going to come on that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. I mean, you know, understand it in the Greek. The word Lord can be used and is used many times as just a, 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 an expression of respect. Uh, someone comes along, maybe it's a political leader or maybe it's a, a religious leader or, or some other person, a, a, a commerce leader. And, and in order to just show them respect, they would have said, Lord. It, it's much the same way that we use the word sir today. If we want to show somebody respect, at least if you're from the south, you, you say, yes, sir. No, sir. Because you're showing them respect by using that term. The, the, the word Lord can in some cases... Uh, in, the, in the New Testament Greek, be no more than just saying, Sir, and showing respect to that person. But when it's used in this way, Jesus says they will not just say, Lord, to show me some respect, but they say, Lord, Lord, there is an, there is an immediacy about it. There is an urgency about it. There is something about it that they are crying out for, and they are saying to him, Lord, Lord, we preached, we did miracles, we cast out demons. And, and Jesus says... I never knew you. What in the world is going on here? Can we not have any assurance of salvation? Can we really not know that we belong to Christ? Can we, uh, do, do we just go through this life? As one person said to me not long ago and asked him if, if they knew Christ, if they knew they were going to heaven when they died, and they said, boy, I sure hope so. I mean, are we, are we relegated to a life of just hoping and, and, and wishing and, and desiring but never really knowing? Well, John said in his little epistle of 1 John at the very end of it, after he's written all of that, he said, now I'm writing these things to you for one reason. I love John because John always tells us why he writes what he writes. In the gospel, he said, I'm writing this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in believing, you may have life. So he says, I'm writing the gospel so you can be saved. He writes 1 John, and he comes to the end of that book, and he says in chapter 5, he said, I'm writing these things that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. You, you see, I believe Jesus believes that we can know that we have eternal life, but Jesus also recognizes that many times we put our hope and our trust for eternal life in the wrong things. When John writes his little epistle, he, gives, he rattles off about six or seven different tests of if you're a believer. Do you confess your sin? Do you acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you, you break God's perfect law, that, that you, you, you do these things in, in, in rebellion against him? Do you acknowledge that you're a sinner, and do you confess that sin? Or do you say, I don't have any sin, and thus deceive yourself and call God a liar? Well, the person who says, I have no sin... John will say, you can't know that you have eternal life. Do you love the brethren? John says, do you, do you love being together in worship? 
Do you have a genuine love for one another that is really family-oriented, that, that when there is a need or there's a, there's a broken heart or there's something going on, then you minister to one another. You minister to the body. And you don't want to miss being with the body. You love being with the body of Christ. Because that's where Christ manifests himself most clearly. That's where the corporate body comes together to worship him in all of his glory. I mean, John says, if you, do you love the brethren? He says, do you hate the world? Now, he doesn't mean, do you just go out there this afternoon and say to everybody, you see, I hate you, I hate you, and I hate everything about this world. No, that's not it. But is your love for Christ greater than your love for the world? Are you drawn after the things of the world? Are they more important to you than your, your allegiance to Christ and your love to Christ and your commitment to Jesus Christ? If you got a choice between doing something in the world and doing something ministry-wise, which are you going to choose? That's what, he's at. That's what John is saying. Do you love the world or do you hate the world and love Christ? I can go on through what John's saying, but here's what I want you to see. John is talking about an understanding of our salvation that is based on what is happening presently in our life. There are many people who, if you ask them if they're a Christian, they'll say, absolutely, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know that you're a Christian? And you may look at their life and see no righteousness of Christ, see no real change of nature or change of life, and they say, oh, but I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know? Well, I know because I prayed a prayer back when I was 10 years old or younger. I know because I was baptized. I went through the water, and I was baptized good by a good godly pastor and I know I was baptized I know I prayed a prayer I know I joined a church and so I know I'm saved well what's happening in your life right now what is Christ doing in your life right now how is Christ working in your life right now to as we prayed in that Puritan prayer to bend you and break you and shape you and mold you into the righteousness of Christ and typically they'll say well I'm not really that into it today but I know that I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer. Do you know there's nowhere in the scripture that it says you become a Christian by praying a prayer? Nowhere. It says you become a Christian by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And I'm sure that there will be an expression of that by prayer, because you'll become a praying person when you're in Christ, and there'll be prayer involved in it. But Scripture never says, listen, here's how you can know that you're a Christian. If you pray a prayer, a good prayer, a sinner's prayer, whatever. I remember when I was in college. I don't know why I'm thinking more so much about my freshman year in college. I guess I'm getting old, and I'm longing for the good old days. But I remember when I was in college, I went through training with Campus Crusade for Christ. I was a, a, a campus leader, and I went through their training. I went through the training with the four spiritual laws on how to share those. And I'll never forget, there was one thing that always bothered me. And it was down at the very end when it had the sinner's prayer. And it said, uh, and in my training, it said, now, if they pray this prayer, here's what you're to tell them. Don't ever doubt your salvation. If you prayed this prayer, you are a Christian, and don't ever let anybody get you to doubt your salvation. You prayed the prayer, you are in Christ. And, and I looked at that and I said, that just doesn't seem to, to measure up to what Scripture says. Because Scripture never says look to the past. Scripture never says what happened back then. 
Because Scripture indicates that if Christ began a work in you, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? I am convinced of this. I know this to be true. That he who began a good work in you will do what? He'll finish it. He'll complete it. If Christ began a work in you through the Holy Spirit by His grace based on, the, on your salvation, if He began a good work in you, He will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That means there will be a growing, there will be a maturing, there will be a developing, there will be a hating the world and loving Christ that grows in progression, that grows in measure. That means there will be a loving the church more than you loved the church before. It'll be growing, it'll be developing that means they'll be seeing sin in my life every single day you know when John said there in John first uh, John 1 9 he said and and if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness that's not a that's not a little formula that's not a little kind of like a, a sinner's prayer thing John is saying here's a mark here's a here's a genuine mark of the believer as they grow closer to Christ and look to Christ they recognize sin in their life and they continuously are confessing that sin that's why I wanted to start this ser- service this morning during the pastoral prayer what is normally just a pastoral prayer I wanted to start it with a prayer of confession and I wanted you to participate in, in sharing of that. And I know we just read it, but I hope you heard the words. And I, I hope you thought the words as you, as you read those. I hope it was a prayer. And I hope that when you bowed in silent prayer, you were truly and genuinely praying confession. I hope you weren't sitting there saying, boy, why would Bill want me to pray confession? I don't have any sin. I don't have anything I need to confess. I don't have any disobedience to Christ. There's nothing in my life that's outside of the will of God. That's what Jesus said is the real, key, the real measure. Not saying, Lord, Lord, just verbally talking empty words, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, they will enter. He will enter. That's the person who will enter. The one who, who is captivated by the will of God in his or her life. Desires it more than anything else. Desires it more than anything else in life. You say, oh, Bill, you're trying to get us all to doubt our salvation. No. No, not really. I am hoping to get you to examine a little bit. Uh, you know, Jesus is so intent on this, the broad way and the narrow way. He's so intent on this fact that there are false prophets who want to tell you something and want to lead you in a way. And, you know, I, I struggle with that because I don't ever want to be leading anybody in a, in a false way. And yet I know that all in the 38 years of my ministry, I've had people come over and over and over again and say, you know, Bill, I, I, made a, I made a profession when I was whatever age. I made a profession when I was 12, personally, me. And I wasn't saved until I was 18. There wasn't a work of Christ in my life, a work of conversion. Because you see, what Jesus is saying here is, is that when a person is really in Christ, they are a new person. There's a conversion 
There's something that happens that's totally different. There's a change of life, not a change of, of, of me just deciding, oh, well, I think I'll go in a different route. But there's a radical work by the power of the Holy Spirit that takes place. You know, that's why uh, I, I always get in trouble, you know, and I, I don't mean to. I, I hate being in trouble. I hate getting in trouble. I don't know why it just follows me wherever I go. But I always get in trouble with children. Because I, I remember in, in, Stone, uh, in, a, in Florida, I had a family that came to me, and they had a five-year-old child, and they said, my five-year-old son is ready to be saved. I said, really? And so I asked him, what is sin? I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, tell me, what does it mean to, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means you get baptized. And on and on, those kind of questions that were, had no understanding of the radical nature of what it means to be saved. Because you see, when you, when you come to Christ, you're making a statement. You're saying, I am ready to confess that I will follow Christ for the rest of my life. That the world will not drag me away. Satan will not drag me away. I am standing with Christ forever, as long as I live. And then for eternity with him. Children are not really ready to say that. A lot of adults aren't really ready to say that. You know, they, they say, well, I love Jesus. Well, good. Cultivate that. Minister that. But nine times out of ten, young children come back later well, they, they do one of two things. They either come back later and say, listen, I really wasn't saved. I need to, I need to confess Christ. I need to, I, need to con, I need to show a public profession. Or they reject the Lord and go their own way thinking they're okay with God. Because I did it. I did what it was supposed to be. I think it's a problem with denominations that do infant baptism. You know, I think one of the greatest tragedies of infant baptism apart from, I just don't see it in Scripture, is the fact that it gives false assurance to people later on. They say, oh yeah, I was baptized when I was born, man. I was eight days old. Baptized. Sprinkled. My parents just sort of made a confession of faith for me on my part. So, got baptized, everything's fine. No, it's not. Because real, genuine salvation, real, genuine conversion takes in all the marks of John that he talks about that are in the present in your life and it shows there is a change, a radical change. Those are scary words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. But Lord, but Lord, we preached. There's going to be some preachers there who are going to hear those words because they were depending on their own righteousness. They were depending on their own good deeds. They were depending on their own works for salvation. I Cast out demons in your name. Well, that's good. Cast out demons is good, but it's the name that does it. It's not you. Your name did not perform many miracles. Listen, that's why I said the other week, and I'll say it again. I think I said it in here. Maybe it was a Wednesday night. 
Just because somebody can do miracles, just because somebody can, can you know, uh, do, a, do a good show, doesn't mean they're from God. Just because they have great numbers following them, doesn't mean they're from God. I mean, you know, you can look at it and say, oh, well, God's blessing them. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe their God is blessing them, and their God is money and their appetite and, and the God of this world who gives them the increase. You see, it's not just doctrinal fidelity. It's not just saying the right things. But it's really and truly knowing Christ. You see those last words? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Do you think that means Jesus is going to say, Wow, I didn't even know you were down there. I didn't know about you. You're, this, is, this is funny. Where'd you come from? No. I was going to say, I, ne I never had a relationship with you. I never had an intimate relationship with you. Oh, you were religious and, and, and you did all this stuff, but, but I never, you never knew me. I never knew you. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said, again, when speaking to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, when he's talking about his passion, he's talking about his life, he doesn't say, man, here's what I really want to do. I want to plant a hundred new churches this year. He doesn't say, man, here's what I want to do. I want to baptize a thousand people this year. He doesn't say, man, here's what I want to do. I want to go on mission trips all over the world this year and see a lot of good stuff happen. He doesn't say that. This is what he says. Here's my passion. Here's my goal in life. Here's what I want more than anything else. That I may know him him being Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death you see that's the mark of a believer that's the passion of a, a truly converted person it's not about numbers it's not about timing it's not about what you can do it's not about miracles it's not about demons it's not even about preaching although I think preaching is pretty important it's about knowing Christ knowing Christ in an intimate relationship Knowing Christ, not like you know somebody or know about somebody, but knowing Christ with the intimacy that you know your spouse, knowing Christ with the intimacy that you know your parents, knowing Christ with the intimacy that you know your children. Not just knowing about Him, not just seeing Him as a character in a book, but seeing Him as a living Lord, living Savior. Jesus says, those who really know me do the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of my Father? That you glorify the Son, that you, that you 
point people to the Son, that you live changed lives, not because you change it, because His Spirit changed it, and you show it forth. That I may know Him. That you may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. That's my goal for you as your pastor. It's not that you think I'm a really super pastor. That's irrelevant. It's not whether you think, boy, Grace is the greatest church around. I think it is, but that's not what I want you to think. I want you to desire more than anything else to know Christ. To know Christ intimately. Let's pray. Fathers, we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will work. I pray your Holy Spirit will draw us to a more profound faith. That your Holy Spirit will examine us like a searchlight and show us the truth. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will turn our eyes away from the world and upon Christ. Lord, I pray that for myself. I can be so easily seduced by the things of the world. I pray, Father, you grant us, you grant us the, the joy of turning our eyes clearly upon you. Father, I pray this morning that you would draw men and women, young people, to faith in Christ as their Savior. They would confess Him with their lips as Lord, and then the real thing, believe in their heart, in the innermost part of their being, that God raised Him from the dead. Speak to us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.